There are two ways, the way of death and the way of life. As humans, we are always looking for answers in life. What am I? Who am I? Where am I going? The truth is that God designed us for the way of life. And even after the fall into sin and the whole world around us being introduced to a new level of suffering and chaos that was not part of the original design, we find that God the Son has made a way for us to be reconciled to this way of life. It is a, a reconciliation to the way we were designed to be and meant to be. Those questions of what am I, when can return to that, who am I, that I can be fulfilled as who I was meant to be and designed by my maker, and where am I going, the question of destiny as we look towards the kingdom of God. The path of life, it is a path of truth, transformation, and liberty, and that's truth with a capital T. God desires that we find liberty and fulfillment as who we were meant to be and not be trapped living as who we want to be. Our lives are far more complicated than we can explain them, and often we are surprised by how fulfilling it is to live as God meant for us to live and how unsatisfying it is to simply remain in our desires. Today, we're going to be talking about a sword of answers, and we're going to be going to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. But before we get into all that, I just wanted to say thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. And I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and I'm not alone here in Cord Purgatory. I'm Pastor Anthony Alegria. And today, we're going to be bringing a message out of Matthew 10. It's a very interesting message, and it's one of the sides of the gospel which reminds us that Jesus does not come to be a sort of cute, fuzzy, warm, hippie-esque, passive person, that he actually is coming, and he is very assertive. The kingdom of God is, in fact, a kingdom. It has all the facilities of a kingdom and the workings of a kingdom. But it is not one that is designed by man, it is one which is designed by God. There is conquering, there are victories, there is the freedom and liberation from sin and the overcoming of death. And today, as we look at Matthew 10, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 39. And in that, we find a passage which is often overlooked in the church. People don't spend a lot of time on it, and it's one which is very important to preach, and it's one that's very important for us to understand within the context that it comes from and see that Jesus knows when to be assertive and when to be more mild. There are times when Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. There are times when he spends time giving great exposition and lengthy discourse with his followers. And then there are times where he simply quotes enough scripture to put the devil at his end and then moves on with his life. So let's begin now in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to the councils and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who will speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now let's just take a pause from this for a second. We've looked throughout the history of the church. There have been a lot of times where people have literally experienced this. You look back to ancient Rome. There are people who were betrayed by family members. There are even people within the time of the New Testament. We find all throughout the book of Acts people being stoned. There are teachers of the law laying down their coats for Christians to be killed. 
This, this sort of persecution is not something which is persecution for persecution's sake. It, it actually happens for a reason. The world doesn't get along with the kingdom of God very well. It kind of resents it and hates it. It doesn't want the holiness of God to come. Anthony? There is another idea here that I think is interesting also. Um, in the early days of Christianity, there were some specific sects that thought that it was best to seek martyrdom. Martyrdom was like yeah, encouraged. And uh, the Orthodox Church and the leaders of the church said, no, this is wrong. We're not supposed to seek martyrdom, uh, even though we are supposed to own up to that potential. And you can see this here also in uh, specifically, if you'd like to look at it, verse 23, whenever it says, you know, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next Um and, you know, for truly I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. We are supposed to, we're not supposed to uh, pursue suffering and persecution for its own sake, surely. But because we are with Christ, uh, there is going to be persecution and suffering and crosses to be carried. Well, one, one of the things where this same concept overflows is there are people who kind of, in the modern day and age, they, they pursue kind of weakness. You know, um... <laughs> Our culture is not one where there's a lot of strength going around. Um, there's not a lot of strength of character, a lot of strength of, of conduct. And and we have this whole motif in modern Western civilization that somehow strength is like a threat to us um, when it's almost completely absent. The Babylon put out, the, the Babylon Bee put out an article that said, you know, least masculine society in history is worried that masculinity is a threat. And it's actually pretty much true where we're at. But the thing is, with, with all of these things, people, they look to the New Testament and they say, well, you know, the least of these is the one who will be first. So don't I want to be that person? They kind of look at this. The goal is never to, to pursue something like martyrdom or to pursue the level of, of, you know, minimal existence in society because that'll elevate you. The idea is that your metric is the kingdom of God. Now, it just so happens that the world is very different from the kingdom of God and the motives of the carnal nature, the motives of the sin nature is very different from that of God and the two tend to be in conflict a lot. And historically speaking, when people live out the gospel, things are going to come after them. That's just the truth of it. Now, it's not that you just want people to come and attack you and you try to provoke that or anything, but after you're living convicted by the gospel and living according to its metric, these things are going to happen. But let's continue on with this because we, we've got some interesting things here in the next few verses. So picking up in verse 24, A disciple is not above the teacher nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave to be like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Again, people call Jesus names all the time. In the evil forces of the world love to call names. I don't know if Anthony has anything you wanted to add to that, but... It's something which is just historically true. Name-calling is a, is a terrible tactic, and it happens a lot. Um, yes, it is. Uh, most of the time, it's not logically based. I don't. Uh, m most of the time, if, if there's name-calling involved, it's best just to ignore it. Yeah, that's, that's just a good rule for life. So verse 26 says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be uncovered. No, nothing is secret that will not become known. All right, let's pause for a second. One of the things which Jesus comes and says, um, Anthony, let me ask you here. I know you're a theological student, but I don't think one has to be a theological student to understand this or to know the answer to this question. Uh, who is it that comes and tells us they are the truth? Capital T, truth. Christ. You know, 
Is, is there anyone else who has successfully been truth throughout uh, history? I'm sorry, what? Who, is, is there anyone else who, is, who has been able to be the, the Son of God, the Word of God manifest in human form? Do we, do we have no. that happening pretty frequently? No. No, there's only one. One of the, the things that goes on in our world is people, they want truth, they want justice. And there is a connection between truth and justice. But there is only one who is truly capable of judging the living and the dead. And the New Testament's logic tells us hand things up to God. The truth will bear you out. You can only live in a lie so long. You can only live in the world of fantasy. Reality is going to clap back at you and you're going to be snapped back to how things are. Christ is truth and he is coming to judge the living and the dead. And things that are secret, they're going to be uncovered and justice is going to happen. But let's continue on because we've got a lot of scripture I want us to get through the day. Let's pick up in verse 27. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet none of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs on your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So let me address this. There's this idea. You get things like the prosperity gospel in Christianity where they say, you know, you get saved, everything's good. You know, quite clearly the gospel tells us, and you find this historically through evil. You see it with people in the house of Israel. You see it with people in the gospels being possessed by demons and even into the book of Acts. Evil can touch the body. All the way back to, to Genesis, all the way back to the book of Job, evil wants the body. You know, demons, they beg for pigs if they can't take a person. But the truth is, evil cannot care for a soul. Evil can only convince you to to give your soul over to hell, that you can destroy it um, yourself. You have to willingly do that. There's this idea that, you know, if you're, you're saved, then evil won't hurt you. But the truth is, evil can um, touch the body. And evil for thousands of years has been begging to touch the body. It wants really to, to have that soul condemned, but it really doesn't have the power to do that by its own agency. You have to be willing to do that. And the church must be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. There are things which will come after your body. Suffering can be inflicted upon you, but that doesn't mean that they have any power over your soul. They even took Jesus to a cross. And he was God incarnate. They will come after the body, but Christ who went to the cross also rose from the dead. They could not keep him dead. So let's pick back up in verse 32. Everyone therefore who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and against and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. For those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Now, there's an interesting thing built within this because some people can take this and say, oh, this is division for division's sake, but it's not true. There's an aspirational goal here. Christ wants us to live on the way of life. There's this idea of take up the cross and follow me. And in that, we find that there are people that you can be made friends with. You can become in the family. I mean, the language of household is here. It's not that you're some generic community or social group household. 
Your foes will become family when you enter into the kingdom of God. If you are willing to live on the way of life, everyone else on the way of life, if they're your identical twin, they will be on the way of life with you. If they are your your worst enemy that you had before you were saved, when you all enter into the way of life, you can become brother and sister in Christ. And the truth of it is, is that God wants us to live on the way of life. This is not something which happens just randomly. And it's a very important message for us to have. The whole purpose of this message is to find that the gospel brings us answers, it brings us truth, it brings us liberty. But this passage is one that is very important for us to discuss. Anthony? Well, I mean, and here at the end again, it is not those who lose their life who will find their life. It is those who lose their life for my sake, the sake of Christ, who will find their life. And that's such an important note. To bring out because so many times you look at scripture people do they take the first half of something and leave off the next but yeah it's good to point that out anthony um so let's get to some other thoughts because it seems odd for jesus to announce that his ministry will cause division especially when you you've got this idea of like jesus is is passive he comes in and he's just easy and everything's great you see the artwork you know everybody's got their hands up and it's a very nice tame situation but This message, it is a necessary truth. This idea that there will be division, it is a necessary truth. Because there are many in the world who reject the liberty and hope found in Christ Jesus. A path into the kingdom of God has been made open, but in doing so, the holiness of heaven has not been diminished. And it is not possible for God's kingdom to exist as a holy place if it is filled with things which are unholy. And this is why it's necessary for this division to exist. Here in a little bit, I'm going to reference... when Jesus is quoting a bit of Isaiah saying, I'm coming to, to give sight to the blind. I'm giving you know the good news to the poor. I'm going to give freedom to the captives, sight to the blind, all this stuff. I'm going to pronounce the time of the Lord's favor. There are people who reject that. And if heaven becomes a place of that says, well, everybody in heaven is now poor, people in heaven, they're blind, you know, they're even look throughout the other afflictions, they've got leprosy, they've got diseases, they're possessed by demons, then heaven would cease to be heaven. The way of life cannot compromise its integrity and it cannot compromise its power. God does not force people onto the way of life, nor does the way of life, the salvation that is found in Christ Jesus that has us born again, it does not compromise all of those things just so it can have people be a part of it. It is something which demands transformation. And it is necessary in that logic that there is going to be distinctions made. Because if we are honest about the world, There are people who hate truth. They hate reason and they hate liberty. Even within the gospel, according to St. Matthew, there are people who begged Jesus to leave after he freed their neighbors from demons. There were scribes who, when looking upon the face of Jesus, they found in their heart of hearts sincere conviction that his power to liberate people from sin was blasphemy. There are people in this world who will call Jesus the ruler of demons. It happened there in the gospels. And there are those who will declare his divine work unlawful. There are people who will look at the power of Christianity, which comes through Christ. They will look at that and they will say it is unlawful. It is blasphemy. It is the problem. They will point at the church and say that is the aberration. They will stand there next to the gates of heaven, a place where there is no suffering, the place where there is beauty, where there is joy, where there is a living kingdom, which is doing the work of all kingdoms. And they will point at it and say that is what is wrong. The sin that is out here, the suffering, the chaos, that's not what's wrong. It is God that is wrong. And there's a reason why Jesus tells his followers to free themselves of fear, to be wise as serpents and to be innocent as doves, and to acknowledge that even families may split. And the reason is this. 
some people will choose to remain on the path of death and outright reject the way of life that is only found through Christ. Now, it seems illogical, but it is true. Christ came to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recover sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But people can only be liberated if they are willing to come out of their prison. And we must acknowledge that there are people, there are townspeople who resent the good news of freedom. There are Israelites who get angry at Moses for delivering them from Egyptian slavery. They come to Moses begging him, saying, were there not enough graves for us in Egypt? We would rather be slaves in Egypt than be free out here in the wilderness. They're slave owners, and we find in the book of Acts, they have a, a demonic child. They have a little girl in their possession, possessed by a demon, and they would rather her be under demonic oppression than to be free of that because it makes them money. There are teachers who say it is unlawful for the Lord's favor to come. They look at Jesus and say, this is not the Lord's favor. They look at it and they say, we do not interpret this Sabbath at the, at the right time. Therefore, you are not actually of God. The world is filled with people who desire the way of death and they hate the truth and liberty of the gospel. But Christ came to free people. And he came with the justice that only God can bring to forgive people of sins, to heal their hearts, to sanctify them, to live on the way of life. But a person can only be freed from a prison if they are willing to walk out the exit. Jesus' message is not one that hungers for division or desires that families be broken apart. In fact, it desires all to embrace the way of life. But the reason why this part of the gospel is so important to emphasize is that it states a basic truth that some people would actually rather live by the world than be transformed by God. Therefore, there is going to be division. This is just a necessary truth. It's not necessary because it was part of God's original design. It is necessary because it is an honest observation of the world. It's an honest statement about the nature of sin. In God's kingdom, there are no poor, there are no captives, no blind, and no oppressed. For all have the Lord's favor. But if God's kingdom allowed people to enter with hearts that loved these afflictions, then it would cease to be God's kingdom. If one decides to hold on to such things and reject the way of life, then they have condemned their souls to the way of death. So let's get back to the opening statement we have here, because this message, it is a sort of answers, and we look to our life, we want answers. And I want to open this, this idea up again by reminding us that there are two paths, and there are only two paths. There's the way of life and the way of death. We as human beings, with minds and free will and agency and all the things which come with being a human being, we are always looking for answers in life. We're looking for direction. Who am I? What am I? Where am I going? These are all questions we have asked. They demand direction in life, and there's something we want. People, they love to take personality tests. They, they're, when they're young, they say, well, what am I going to do in college? People stress over this. Some of the biggest stressors that people have in life, you know, do I have enough money to make things meet? You know, what's going on in my life? The questions of who we are and the need for answers are very important. We have questions of our origin, our personal lives, and our destiny, and God designed us that we would recognize our origin as creatures created in his image. In our personal lives, even though we may have sufferings that come, God wants to liberate us from them, and our destiny is that we walk on the way of life with Christ. Even after the fall, God the Son, he came to make a way for us to be reconciled to this way. Now, throughout the gospel, in terms of the questions we have in life, we know that Jesus comes and he frees people from various bondages found in the world. 
For those that are seeking a closer walk with God, Jesus makes himself personally known to them. For those that are looking for a Messiah to just liberate them from the worldly powers. They want to be cleansed of whatever it is. They don't want the identity. They're sick of being in the, the wrong people group. They're sick of being it, whatever it may be, a leper, being, being someone who can't really be a teacher of the law. Christ comes and says, you have as much importance to me as anyone else. All that stuff is gone. Your identity is found in Christ Jesus, and that is a powerfully liberating thing. Brother Anthony. I will say also, um, there were many in the time of Christ who were waiting on the Messiah who did not recognize him. And there are many who were waiting for salvation, and they completely and totally misunderstood what salvation was. It wasn't a very uncommon idea for um, the idea of the Messiah and for salvation to be a geographic kingdom reestablished as Israel and uh, that kingdom conquering the world through, uh, you know, military might and things like that, sort of like um, the story of David. And I'm not trying to dismiss the story of David, but I'm just trying to say that there were people who misunderstood what the coming of the Messiah would look like and so totally rejected it. And I would not say that we're above that today. A lot of times we misunderstand uh, the salvation that Christ has to offer us, and we are unwilling to bear our crosses, and we're unwilling to um, do anything that would cause us to come into conflict with the world. And these things are not of the salvation that Christ has brought. The salvation that Christ has brought will iner inherently lead to a conflict with the world, not because it is a conflictive salvation, but because the world despises it. Yeah, absolutely. And when people have questions in life, they, they come with these questions of destiny. The, the kingdom of God is one that puts us to work. And when we look at our lives, I want us to do this. And this is something you out there in the audience, wherever you can be, wherever you're at, even in time, if you're listening to this sometime in the future, I want you to think about your life. The fact is we are here, we're listening to this message, and that indicates we have at least a minimal compulsion to approach God. And I want us to ask ourselves, what is the biggest question that lingers in your heart? When you go to sleep at night, what is the one thing that you think about before you go to bed? What is the problem you want solved? What is the area in life that you want liberty? I want you to think on it and find it because we're going to spend some time in prayer for revelation in that area at the end of this message. But I want you to think about it right now. And we're going to be talking about how we find answers in the gospel. One of the things which is true is throughout time, issues we have in life, and not all of them are, are things of saying there's a, a particular drama going in life. Sometimes it's you're looking towards the future and there's just questions of the unknown. But when we look through our lives, we, we know a couple of things. God tells us that we should accept the path of responsibility and we should do that over the path of desire. And we have to do this being wise. Again, you're wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. Realize there are people who are going to try to manipulate you into believing you have responsibilities that are false. But whenever you're, you're young, you're making those decisions, God always says, choose the path of responsibility over desire. That is going to, to give you much more lasting quality in life. It'll, it'll be more fulfilling, more so satisfying in the end. Anthony? I think uh, there's something pretty deep about that statement, too, that I just thought about. Um, it seems like it is good to understand the ways of the world and how they differ from the ways of the kingdom of God. Yeah. And, you know, that wisdom can protect you. But also having that wisdom, you know, just because you know how the world tricks people 
and uh, how it might manipulate others and things of that nature. Doesn't mean that you're to go manipulating people and using that power for yourself. Yep. You're supposed to stay as innocent as a dove. Yep. And so it's sort of a call to be innocent but not naive. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really interesting statement that I haven't noticed before. Yeah, it's absolutely a, a, a statement saying be innocent and not naive. And we do. We accept responsibility over desire. And there are people who will try to manipulate even that. We're told by the gospel not to hold on to grievances. So many times in, in life, people, they have a problem in their life and they kind of hold on to it and they let that define them. You know, our modern culture loves this. It, 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 it encourages people to embrace some sort of victimhood and stay there. There's not language of transformation in our society. You don't hear a lot of language of, of people being elevated. And the, the church language of sanctification, which should not be something which you only hear occasionally, it is almost entirely gone from modern dialogue. If you go to public dialogue, it is entirely gone. Even in our churches, though, it's, it's but a, a remnant. We don't hold on to grievances, no matter how much they have shaped your lives. We find this with Jesus. He meets people. He heals them. He says, go do the ritual, be cleansed, go and have a life, get up and walk. He doesn't say stay on the bed forever. Be merciful to those who have wronged you, for God is merciful with you. Have gratitude in life and investigate your life to see how God has been merciful with you, to see how you have been blessed. You know, understand that suffering is not the end. The gospel did not come that we may be free of bodily harm, but that we would be free of the consequences of sin and that we could have new life in Christ Jesus. And that's life that does not end. Christ came and suffered as man so that we could be born again, and thus we should recognize that our suffering will not be forgotten. God's justice is true, and no matter what sufferings we have in life, God will give us justice in his kingdom. These are things which are basic teachings of Christianity, basic teachings of Christ. And so many times people, they want to hold on to things. When we're looking for, for movement in life, we, we want answers to things, but God has told us to, to let things go. Let God be the justice bringer. The New Testament tells us that when we're looking to the future and we have uncertainty, that people are graced with a wide area of talents and just different skills and things, and that people work in a lot of vocations. You look at the early church, you find a lot of Roman soldiers. In fact, a good portion of those we, we see early on in the church are centurions and other Roman soldiers that are Gentiles. God is working with people in all areas of life. As long as you're not doing something which is explicitly sinful, God has called us to work in many areas, and he skills and graces people. One doesn't simply have to be a, a pastor or a preacher, someone working in the church in order to be a minister and worker in the kingdom. God wants us to rise to who we were meant to be and not just who we want to be. Life is filled with darkest valleys, and evil will come for your body, but if we turn our souls to God, evil can never own them. The way of life, when we want questions and answers, we must understand that it is a way of truth. That's truth with a capital T, liberty, and transformation. Now, all three of these concepts, they are missing from modern dialogue. Truth, and that's truth with a capital T, has been replaced with your truth, and that's truth with a lowercase t. And it's been replaced with our limited views on the world that says nobody can really do one thing or another. You have no authority to speak on this. No one can talk about that if you're not of the right group. Truth itself is missing. And it's sad. Liberty is another thing which is missing. It comes at the great cost of responsibility. When Jesus comes to the man and says, get up and walk, he's freeing that man from the affliction of being paralyzed. And even more importantly, because again, if you live long enough, your body's going to start getting sore. I know I've been putting a clutch in, in one of my cars and there's muscles in your back, which are specially designed for that. I think God, when he was um, giving the breath of life to Adam, he said, your descendants somewhere along here have these two muscles that'll be used for transmission removal. Never flexed any other time in life and they get sore. 
But the truth is, if you live long enough, you do enough stuff, your body's going to ache. You're going to have pains. The paralyzed man, he's healed of that and freed of that, but there's a good chance, you know, if he lives long enough, he'll have trouble walking and maybe can't walk at all again. But the truth is, he freed him from something bigger than that. He freed him from sin. Anthony. I think also, even in that same story, the paralyzed man was carried there, but he was expected to take his own mat and go home once he was uh, lifted out of that. And so I think in many ways there is a call for we who are sinners, who are lifted out of our sin to do something very similar and also to disciple others. And, And there is responsibility in that. Because guess what? When you got to get up and walk, you got to get out and start a whole new life. You got to start a new career. You you've got to your your whole live your entire life just got reorganized. And you can either take the easy path and just lay back down on the bed, or you can stand up and say, you know what? I am going to walk. I'm going to go out and live. Another thing missing from our our world is the language of transformation. And I must clarify this as sanctification. Transformation, the concept of it, and even the concept of sanctification, if we analyze how religious the world is, even when it doesn't have any ties to Christianity directly, we must clarify that that this has been perverted. Transformation, rather than being molded into Christ's likeness by the Holy Spirit, has been perverted into something where people are just encouraged to be transformed into the image of their desire, to live as who they want to be rather than discover the fulfillment, which is often surprising. It's surprisingly fulfilling to live as who you're meant to be rather than who you want to be. But yet, the world, the way of death, it does not want this. The way of death doesn't want people to let go of the prison, but the way of life does. The way of death wants people to be confused about who they are, where they came from, and where they're going. In great contrast, the way of life wants you to have certainty that you were designed by God, that your God came and died on a cross, that you may be restored to the creature you were designed to be, and that you could have eternal life with him. And you see, the truth is, people in our modern day and age say, well, I'm not a Christian, so he's not my God. But the truth is, God came to die for everyone. That pathway was made open. People have to receive it. It's a beautiful gift. And the way of life, it is not a passive thing. It comes with the sword to bring liberty and transformation. But yet there are those who will embrace the way of death. But there are some who will embrace the gospel, and there are those who reject what it means to live by the world. There are people who do live by the world and they will reject the gospel and they believe they are the people of justice. It's interesting that this has happened throughout time, but it is nonetheless true. And we must realize that God's kingdom desires for all of us to rise above the prisons of sin and not think that we are the true arbiters of justice. Now that we've spent some time thinking about this, And earlier I asked you to think about the one problem in life that you want to bring before God, the one request you have for God. The sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit does not end, and if we're honest, we all have something in life to take to God. The world wants us to hold on to our problems, to use our emotions without discretion, but God wants to free us and gift us with transformation. So we're going to close by going to the Lord in prayer and pray for truth, transformation, and liberty. So let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we have come together, there are those out here in our audience, they have things weighing on their hearts. They have something which they want to bring to you. Lord, even I myself, I have the requests that are deep within my heart, Lord. Ask that you send your Holy Spirit, that you would come convict us. 
Lord, the questions we have in life, let us not long that you would come to affirm our sinful desires, but let us have the peace and the strength to endure all that the world gives us. Lord, we know that you have designed us for a purpose and that you have called us to return to your way, to return to citizens of your kingdom. Lord, I just pray that you would convict us all, that we would come near to you. Lord, we confess that we are sinners in our hearts, Lord, but we also confess that with the transformation and sanctifying power you have brought to us, that we can live as new creatures born again who are sanctified, and we rule not by our own merit, but we rule with the authority that you've handed to us, and we rule over the sin nature. Lord, let us have the strength to keep it at bay. We ask all of this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Anthony, any final thoughts? Are we good to, to let people go? I believe we're good. All right. Well, with that, God love you and have a blessed day.